Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Hi everyone and welcome to a special Q&A edition of the V8 Sleuth podcast. You may have noticed I'm not Aaron Noonan, I'm Will Dale, but I've got the boss with me and we're here to run through your questions that you served up to us on our social media channels. How you going, Noons? Uh, we're good. We've got lots of questions here, Will, so uh, let's rip in. What's first? Okay, first off the rank, Blake James, V8 Sleuth, do you think the XL series will race at more supercars events as a support category after Winton if they get a good response? Well, I think they got a good response. What oh, geez, did they have? 48,000 cars on the grid? They're, they're just... I would never have expected that an Excel, when I was growing up looking at these things on the road, I would never have believed they would have made entertaining <laughs> racing. But I guess, you know, you wind back 30 years, people were probably saying the same things about HQ holders. Yeah, that's and true. It's, it's true. Well, well, they have 42 cars, I think, or thereabouts. Mm. Uh, great racing. Mm, very good the, racing. the thing to remember is that the Winton Rounds, a Banala Auto Club round, uh, run round, not mm. a supercars events, promoted events. So that's a, a promoter um, situation. So... Based on that, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw them at one or two more rounds in the future. They put on some good racing, they had lots of cars. Um, why not? And someone told me somewhere recently that there are over, and I don't know if this is right or not, but I was told this, so I'm going with it, um, somewhere in the vicinity of a couple of hundred or maybe more Excels that are logbooked around the country. That's incredible. Camps, which is unbelievable. We could have the, the, the Excel Intergalactic Championship and still have cars <laughs> left over. But uh, short answer, um, they did a good job. I, I think that they probably earned a spot at a, a Winton or an Ipswich or somewhere, uh, one of those sort of traditional racetrack rounds in the future. That'd be good. For sure. And I love the retro livery some of them yes. turned out. Yes, in. very cool. Very cool. Okay, next question from Matt Porteous. Why can't supercars run the Bathurst 1000 with main game cars and Super 2 cars in one race? Well, they can. They're mm. called wildcards. A uh, bit of a common misconception among our fan base, probably too, Will, that Super 2 teams can't run uh, in the main game because why don't we see them on the grid? Well, they mm. can. There's wildcards. We've had wildcards for 10 years for the Bathurst 1000. But just because there's a wildcard doesn't mean you can afford to run one. Mm. So you've got a lot of Super 2 Series teams that are running the series. So that's why a few years ago they made Bathurst a non-point Super 2 race to encourage those teams to run potentially in the 1,000. But it simply costs a lot of money to put together a one-off program, get a, a chassis lease, an engine lease, buy buy your own bits. Um, it's really, really expensive to go and do that. And, and the proof's in the pudding that we haven't seen too many of those um, situations unfold over the years. And for the bigger ticket cars, you know, people talked about Penske's running a third car for internationals. Um, the testing, the tyres, the restrictions mm. on that is what probably puts that... Um, into the situation of not happening and that needs to be freed up if you want to ever have the big ticket willpower one montoya third penske car type situation Indeed, because they're not going to roll in and try and drive a car that they have had minimal laps in up against people that have raced these cars what 30 something times you, a year you're on a hiding to years nothing years. Oh, yeah, yeah really exactly so, so the not reality, everyone's a matthias ekstrom that's true <laughs> and the reality is so to answer the question super two teams can uh, they have to apply for those wild cards. You don't just get them willy-nilly, mm. uh, but it's simply a – really, it's a financial situation as to why we haven't seen uh, wild cards run the 1,000 as a, as a common element over the last couple of years. 
Next question from Jim Stevens. When is Tony Cochran coming back to salvage the train wreck of supercars? Oh, well, there's a bit of comment and opinion <laughs> in that question, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, I think Tony's too busy running the Gold Coast Suns, isn't he, at the moment, as the chairman up there. So um, interesting with some of his comments recently on uh, uh, Russell Ingle and Paul Morris's uh, Facebook Live video series. Um, geez, wouldn't it be interesting if Coco was back? Oh, we certainly miss him. He did add some spice and colour. And Well, he was um, a character. In still an is. era of character. Well, yeah. Still is. Yeah. But in an era of characters like you think back to the early years of supercars from 97 onwards you had dick you had brocky you had larry and you had the Don't boss it, coco yeah <laughs> yeah it'd be great to see him back in some way shape or form i'm not sure if he ever holds an interest in in doing that maybe we get him on the podcast one day and talk to him about some of the uh the things that happened back in the day in the supercars era that he hasn't been asked about for a while. So um, we could pose that to him one day. Indeed, Tony, if you're listening, I'm sure you have one of our numbers or know someone who does. And by the way, uh, on behalf of the Hawthorne Football Club, thank you for Jager O'Meara. That was really fantastic <laughs> too. He, he hates to be reminded of that. Uh, okay, next question. Jack Palmer, do you expect that the V8 Sleuth Touring Car Classic and the opening round of S5000 will go as well as TCR's first round? Oh, I don't think you can really compare the the three things, or you, the classic in particular. It's a one-off event. Uh, we hope that it would grow into something in the future. Uh, Winton on the Father's Day weekend, where we're going to take XV8 supercars, super tourers, uh, future tourers, and run them in a bit of a, a combined event at the Shannon's Nationals Cams round. So uh, if it went as well as the first round of TCR, I'd be stoked, but I'm certainly not expecting to have you know, 17 cars and all the sorts of media interest and the like. Um, it's a bit more low-key than that. S5000, Sandown, September, that'll be mm. the kickoff for that, which there's a lot of naysayers out there at the moment about is it a thing, is it not a thing? They said that about TCR. It's now a thing. So, yeah, can't wait to see those cars on the track too. But um, what's that old quote, Will? Is it that something success is whatever you define it to be? Something um, like that, yeah. So if the Sleuth Classic goes ahead, there's cars and everyone's got a smile on their face at the end of the weekend, I think that's a success. But I know that's probably not much of an answer, but the reality <laughs> is that is the answer. Sticking with the opening round of TCR as a theme, Nicholas Long is asking, hope the TCR race next year at SMP has a big screen for people at the track. Was the only bad thing that per- that Nicholas could say about the event? Well, if that's the only thing he's saying that's bad, it's not a bad start. Uh, Nicholas, too, the thing with big screens, they cost money and fairly decent-sized amounts of money. So I'm sure that if the Shannon's Nationals continues to grow and it gets more um, finances behind it and crowd support and things like that, that, that's something they might look at down the track in the future. But for the moment, that's a, that's a cost scenario, I would have thought. We've got a lot of TCR questions. Yeah, there seems to be. And there's another one coming up from Jason Kant. I enjoyed TCR, but can you actually see it becoming a long-term feature on the Australian motorsports scene? Depends what you deem as a long-term. What is long-term? Is it five years? Is it 20 years? Is it, um, I don't know what you deem long-term. I'd deem long-term 10 years. That's probably pretty long-term. Uh, it's been around for, what, five on the global Internationally, market? Internationally, yeah. They, they've got the, the way of controlling the category, and so it's not like the super touring days where they're going to start building carbon mm. fibre Formula 1 specials and the costs go through the roof. I think they've figured that you've got to keep it pretty tightly controlled. Don't let the manufacturers run race teams in it. And that's um, it. It's a customer-based yeah. category, which makes it very, very different from super touring. Completely different. Mm. That's probably one of the biggest misconceptions about TCR. Um, it's very much like GT3 racing, but for touring cars. Mm. Customer sport programs manufacturers have finally figured out that the best way to go car racing is to build cars or have an organisation, a homologation team, build one on your behalf with your approval Mm. uh, and go and sell race cars and support the odd team here or there with 
parts and support or maybe some technical material or information and the like. So, um, and it's a way of them going motor racing without making a significant investment, yeah. being able to lean on corporate facilities, bring clients to the racetrack. Oh, Honda's good proof of that, jumping Indeed. on board with the Wall Racing Honda program for TCR. So um, compared to setting up your own race team with uh, building cars, employing staff, facilities, warehouses, workshops, uh, definitely the way to go. So, um, yeah, long-term, depends what you deem long-term, but I think it's going to be here for a while because it's uh, had a pretty serious investment made in it. Indeed, and it's gotten off to a very good start. Now, a non-TCR question. Here we go. Tommy Thomas, I've always been wondering in the early days of the E-Series Falcons run in the Australian Touring Car Championship, why they couldn't run the genuine XR Series headlights versus the base model headlights they ran. Tommy, I've never stopped and sat and thought about that sort of a question. Have you, Will, at all? No, nah, because they, they ran XR Series badges. Some of them. They did in some stages. I remember mm. the Ford Credit Seaton cars started to run a bit of XR branding and mm. badging and the like from memory. Uh, I don't know, to be honest. Maybe it was a case of... Uh, so we're talking like the rounded headlights of like the EF, the, XR8 I think it's even before that. The, before the, that, like the faux rounded headlights of the ED series. Uh, yeah, I'm, maybe it just didn't look the part. I'm not yeah. sure on that one. We'd have to ask someone who was in the Ford styling world at the time. Indeed. Might not have fit fit whatever Ford's marketing purposes at the time anyway. Yeah, it probably wouldn't have looked too crash hot just quietly as a race car version. Mm. Next question, John Price. Super Utes, new low-profile tyres, lower suspension, wider R-spec tyres, too little, too late, or do you think they can win the public over? I'm yet to read anything positive about them in fans' for fan forums uh john price that name sounds very familiar can you say fan forums again 10 times fast? fans forums fans no no that was one, one and a half one, one and a half <laughs> um there's no doubt super utes have copped a fair pasting out there in mm. race fan land but um what are we in year two yeah it's really early um if there were 25 or 30 of these things skating around the racetracks bouncing into one another and um it was a big field i don't reckon there'd be as much of this um, you, you know, negativity towards them is probably the best scenario to, to describe it as. But, um, oh, no, look, getting rid of that tyre squeal, that was a big mm. thing. I thought that was a big change. That was that was needed. Yeah. Um, is it going to win people over? I don't know. I, don't, I can't speak for people, but I think with everything, you need to give things time. And, that, and, you know, it's very easy to say, but you're an apologist for supercars or, uh, like... Fact is, supercars are no different to a lot of other organisations and ones we've talked about in this podcast that are clients of us here at mm. our parent business. So, um, but the reality is, you've got to give these things time. Um, yep, yeah, look, I'm sure they're disappointed too. They would rather have more than ten or eleven or twelve utes on the grid. They'd want to have twenty odd good representation from different brands Indeed. of um, of utes in there, which is great. But um, you know what? I'm a bit over the negativity of everything in life and socials and racing, and um, and that's not to put your head in the sand and say it's not all flowery and roses. But uh, um, yeah, if everyone's a bit more positive and uh, try to get on board with things, it would be a lot easier in life. But uh, indeed, no, give it time. We're only in year, what one point three of it at the yeah. moment. So I think the thing is, I think everyone agrees that the changes they've made have been a positive step forward. So yeah, that's absolutely. that's always that's all you can do. If they did nothing, then you'd be worried. But they're mm. taking steps to wherever they can make the product better, and um, yeah, more of them. On, uh, if we had twenty-five or thirty of those things, oh, all banging mate, doors on, and leaning on, on each other, we wouldn't yeah. even be having this chat. So. Indeed. Kieran Andrew asks, "Why was the AU Falcon such an inconsistent and poor race car? I know that it had an inherent understeering problem, but it can't just be that." 
Now, we've probably both driven AU Falcons in our time. No. But n- well, maybe a, probably a renter somewhere over well, the years. Yeah, exactly. Um, neither of which would have had under-tray issues. Because <laughs> they didn't have one? Indeed. The AU definitely struggled in the early years. And when it had the parity adjustment to receive the bottom half of the VT front yeah, splitter. Yeah, mid-2000, didn't they? So those yeah. early AU splitters were flimsy as all yeah. hell. You'd, you'd spear off the road. Well, not that I did. but um, And they'd just fold up like a cardboard. Um, as, as a long-suffering Ford fan back in the day, that any time any one of them left the tarmac when they were in a good position, it was like, forget it, yep. turn off the TV, walk yeah, away, yeah, front and prepare for folded. the aggravation you cop at school. Oh, yeah, from the Holden fans. Mm, it was not a good time. Yeah. Uh, but, but there really is a lot of drivers from those AU-era um, cars. Um, you know what? I think their biggest problem was that they're up against HRT. Mm. That was their biggest problem. It wasn't so much their... Um, their cars because Ambrose showed that on its day the AU could get up there and run. Once they changed that front bumper section, as you hmm. mentioned, to a remember that the front of the AU when it first came out had a shark fin through the middle of the front yeah. grill in the radiator at the bottom. Um, in early mid two thousand, I think they re sculpted and redesigned it so as it mimicked the Holden's front spoiler. So they hmm. called it the Tiger bumper, didn't they? Yeah. I think, from memory, yeah, yeah. Um, and that made it a bit nicer. But uh, and you know, Radisic was pretty solid in two thousand and one. He and Steve Johnson won some rounds. But the problem with that they had was they were really good and winning or bad. Yeah, the, their bad days were not as good as others. Which so. goes back to the consistency that Kieran's talking about. Yeah, and so, but how much of that was teams and how much of that's the car? That's probably up to the drivers and the teams who were involved to, to answer than us. But, yeah, the AU was in a, it was born at a wrong time up against the power of Clayton. Indeed. Uh, and it arrived much later than the VT Commodore. When you think back, yeah. the actual aero kits themselves, there weren't many of them around at the very start of the 99 season, so it wasn't exactly a big development run-up period and compared to the VT that arrived in the middle of the previous it, year. Yeah, and that's something that we're going to talk about in our uh, DJR Cars book which we're working on you and i at the moment indeed um, and if you haven't pre-ordered you should so you don't miss out head to store.v8sleuth.com.au and talking to dick johnson about all of that um you might remember this that the there was a lack of those au aero kit items mm. at the time so the only way that they did it fairly was that they drew a lottery for <laughs> the different teams as to who got what in what order i mean could you imagine that happening today not quietly no no, well, I don't think it was too quiet at the time. Anyway, <laughs> no. anyway, what's next? What's next? Jonathan Duval, S5000, is it a dream or will it fly and have a future in Australia and New Zealand? It'll fly because people who are involved in it have invested a lot in it. Will it have a future in Australia and New Zealand? I think that's the target market for it to have an involvement. For sure. A, a Tasman Series rebirth? I reckon that's the gun thing for it. Well, you think back to Formula Holden, there were periods where that, that category had very strong fields and a lot of people running it. And that was a car that at the time definitely didn't sound as exciting or you listen to the you read back the criticism of the time what wasn't as exciting a car as what the s5000 is people who drove them will tell you that they were because they're bloody fast yes. but mm. the sound of a what a 3.6 or 3.8 and then later 3.6 holden v6 engine yeah. didn't quite stir the soul like this five litre v8 that's in the back of the s5000 so uh, like all things i think there's probably plenty of naysayers out there um, until they see it run, which is understandable. Um, but September, Sandown, Shannon's round, that's the plan for it. Uh, I talked to Gary Rogers actually just a couple of weeks ago, and he said they've obviously got the one car that's been out running. Mm. And that stunning uh, Valvoline. Yeah, it looks Indy great. Delivery. Robbie Gordon was running around. Or Gilles <laughs> Deferrin. Um, four more tubs being worked on. And at the time, and I reckon by the time this podcast hits the, uh, the interwebs, is that a thing? That's a thing. 
the, the app webs, whatever. The digital airwaves. The digital airwaves, yeah, that's good. Um, there's another, I think, nine tubs on their way to be put together at GRM's workshop. So there's mm. definitely moves afoot, things happening. Um, who's going to drive those cars? Where are they going to come from? I don't know, but if there's a Tasman series in the off-season, I'm sure there's plenty of young European kids out there who you know, might look at TRS in the off-season to race, but they might also look at something like S5000 to keep their miles up and deal with a bit of high-power um, V8 action. So, Indeed. Mm. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Uh, Dean Stevens is asking, would DRS work in supercars? The front straight at Sandown into the first corner would be awesome. I'm not sure on what your personal opinion here is, but I hate DRS. Yeah, I'm not a big fan, eh? It's video gamey, it's gimmicky, it creates fake passing in Formula 1. It just mm. allows cars that are going to pass someone else an easier way by. Exactly. Lewis Hamilton can bar. blow away a Renault uh, because he's on a charge through a field. It makes him have to work 35% less mm. to be able to pass it. He was always going to pass it, now he gets an easier way to pass it. When was the last time you saw a knock him down drag him out race? where a DRS pass backwards and forwards. Oh, yeah. I can't remember one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they do it in DTM, don't they? I believe so. Or they have in the past. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, my personal preference is I don't... Yeah, I don't like it. If anything, we should have less dependence on aero settle items. Down, settle down, John Bauer. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. But I do agree. I do completely agree. And from what we've read in recent times, that is something that Supercars is having a good look at. So Yeah, for me, though, it's a no. But I don't run the world, so what does it matter? Maybe tomorrow. Yeah, anyway. Maybe tomorrow. What else you got? Neville Austin, when Alan Moffat crashed his RX-7 at Surfers Paradise Raceway, who won the weekend and what date was it? Because And the reason Neville's asking this is he says... Does he, he win a bet on this? Is there a trip <laughs> raffle on the line or something? He actually got to sit in the car that day, and as a kid he can't remember... As a kid, and he can't well, remember in it. In the Moffat car? In the Moffat car, I Oh, think. wow. He also has a photo beside the DJR True Blue XD. Well... So we're talking 1984 here. So that yeah. actually is the only win in his championship winning year for Dick Johnson. Yeah, in the, in, the, in the second Green's Tough XE. Yeah, the Palmer Tube Mills as it was by then. So that, so that was uh, the wet race where Alan Moffat collided with Gary Wilmington, the privateer, coming under the bridge, ended up off the road. John Harvey's off the road filling in for Peter Brock. Moffat ends up in a tree, crashing a tree into stump. a tree stump head yeah. on. I think he broke his sternum from memory and or cracked hurt it or his wrist as broke well. Broke his wrist yeah. and he was out for a, for a while there. Uh, and it r- absolutely wrote off that RX-7 that he was driving mm. at the time. So um, so Dick Johnson won the race. Uh, we can answer that bit. Have you got the date there for those playing along at home? May 13. 1984. 1984. So that's 35 years ago. Which is why it was John Harvey in the Holden Dealer because Team Commodore. Brock was going to Le Mans. Or is it Silverstone that weekend? Silverstone that weekend. Right. Brock, Le Perkins, Le Silverstone. <laughs> Le, not a good combination when you say Le Silverstone. Anyway, Le no. there you go. That's a good answer for Neville. That'll hopefully win him a meat tray down at the pub, if that's why he's <laughs> asked. But the fact that he got a photo taken with the true blue Falcon mm. would tell me that by that stage, I think that was with Elf Grant. Correct. This will all be in the DJR book. That plug, it will. Plug. Anyway, that it will. next question. Peter Bridges. Hey, V8 Sleuth. Just revisiting the Peter Brock classic of 1995. Do many of the two-litre cars from that race still exist? Nothing specific, however, of fairly turbulent time motorsport-wise. We're getting a lot of questions and interest in super touring. I, hmm. I think part of that's TCR, don't you reckon? I think so. 
people are, and enough time's passed that it's, uh, I remember when. There's a bit yeah. of that going on. Um, so Peter Brock Classic, there was a very, very small two-litre mm. field that weekend. No works BMWs? No, they, they finished at Adelaide. Mm. So of the, of the cars around, Brad Jones was in one Audi 80. That car ended up back overseas because they moved on. Uh, Stephen Richards was in a Valvoline Alpha. Yep. That car was barrel rolled down the road by David Auger a couple of years later, but it was reshelled and it carried on with the same ID of the previous car. Yeah, but old I, Grand I personally Parzax. deemed that another car. Yeah. Um, Jim Richards was in the Hungry Jack's Mondeo, which I think a pile of those Mondeos are around. There's a bit mm. of a question mark on which is which and what, why and how, but I think that one's still around. Mm. Uh, Tony Scott was in the Volvo Wagon. Which mu- surely that's got to exist somewhere. I think those cars are back over in Sweden somewhere here or hereabouts. Ah, oh, yes, they've been Volvoed. Yeah, but there was one of those Volvo wagons that was turned into a sedan oh. for the following year. It wasn't a race. I think it was used as a test mule. Yeah. But I think it's now being, in the UK, converted back to a wagon. Wow. So I think there were only two or three wagons ever built. One was mm. a test mule and two were race cars, and we had one here. So I think... The Tony Scott car's still around. And of the other cars in the field, I think Cameron McLean's BMW, that's in New Zealand now, which was the B&H Tony mm. Longhurst car. There was a couple of M3 BMWs that I think are still kicking around. And off the top of my head, I can't remember what else was in the field that weekend. That probably, but that probably covers out, just about the field, yeah. yeah. Um, another car question. Mm. Chris Holborn. What happened to the Roadways VK that ran at Bathurst in 1984? Does it still exist today? Which I think is kind of a trick question because there were two. Well, there was one VK and one oh, VH. Oh, the was a VH. Correct. I stand corrected. So the VK, Sorry, Chris. Uh, the answer is yes. Mm. And the good news is it's being restored. Is it Slowly just? but surely. Um, I'm of the belief it's in Victoria with an cool. owner. So this is the car that was purpose-built for Alan Grice for the Enduros in 1984. Final uh, run of Group C touring cars. He and Steve Harrington in that, I remember that roadways livery that last year at Bathurst 84. So it was yellow, white, green. Green and gold. Yeah, it was sort of a Team Australia colour in a way. Um, But it was a purpose-built VK that I think only did, what, Sandown, Bathurst? Surfers? Surfers. Were they at the Grand Prix? Uh, no, I don't think so, but they're at Baskerville. Ah, the very last Group, group C. C. Yeah, yes. and then that car was converted to Group A spec mm. and became Tony Cabbage's Yellow Pages car that Les Small still had a lot to do with and Alan Grice did some test driving and the like in. So, um, yeah, it was a VK Group A car for a fair while and it's been... The last photo I saw, the owner sent me a note a while back and it was looking like it was back in the Group C body kit with the flares and the, the baseline roadways colours from Bathurst 84. Um, but that would be a cool car to see that back out racing in Heritage Touring Cars or somewhere down the track. Oh, so absolutely. That's the good news um, uh, for, for Chris that it's yeah. around. Yeah. Well, that'd be cool because you think of all the other cars from that the very end of Group C that are still around mm. and still in period condition because... There wasn't a lot to do with them afterwards unless you wanted to race them as a sports sedan. Yeah, you either held on to them or you sold them for not much, mm. which was kind of the end of Group A as well. Same yeah. sort of scenario. But, uh, yeah, good news. I'm sure that'll keep Chris very happy. Mason Barnes asks, should supercars implement some kind of balance of performance measures should the series be run by team owners? Well, kind of already is run by team owners in a way because some of them are on commissions <laughs> yeah. and boards and um, and own part of the company. Uh no, it's not a be. It's not a balance of performance category. It's a no. parody based technical based parody. Uh, let me try technical that again. Based technical parody, parody based category. Yes, does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. I think you've nailed it there. Yeah, yep. uh, BOP uh, won't work. It's not a supercars thing uh, because it's a technical parody. And by that, 
not and it's not a team parody as we've learnt this year and reminded everybody. Um, it's that every car is technically in the same capability window. Now, whether it's got a different team running it that's got the same capability is a whole other matter. But it's about the technical parity. So, balance of performance is a GT TCR type scenario, whereby they play with different elements of cars. There's weight, there's air restrictors, there's ride heights, there's all sorts of things to bring them forward, bring them back to try to even things out. But I don't think you'll ever see that in supercars because it's sort of not at the fundamental underpinnings of the category from when it first started. And introducing a BOP wouldn't exactly end the parity complaints. It'd make if you thought more. It was, exactly. If you thought it was bad what's happening or heated what's going on in supercars mm-hmm. this year, look at GT racing at any point in the last 10 years. Yep. Enough said. Yeah. Luke Batterston asks, nice short, sharp question here. Ricardo made a big mistake going to Renault. Bank account would say no. <laughs> yes. Uh, and again, like Super Utes, it's too early to tell. The, the, he's made this decision based on X years, exactly. not X races. So exactly. uh, easy to make the short-term call on this, but I don't think you can make a call on it. History will be the one that defines whether it's a big mistake or not, and we probably won't find that out for another... I reckon three years, maybe four. Not forgetting that there is a wholesale rule change coming towards Formula One at some point in the near future. And the sooner it gets here, the better for everyone. Indeed. Uh, Andrew Kirk asks, opinion on a more modern engine coming into supercars from Ford or GM and or GM? Mm, Won't happen. Yeah. Well, there was a turbo V6 GM engine and it's now not a thing. So that, that says it all really, doesn't it? And the cost involved in creating that sort of program, it's its not exactly... It's the not motors are expensive enough as yeah. it is. If anything, they're too expensive. Mm. They need That's where some serious cost needs to be wound out of mm. supercars racing. So going and investing in a whole... I mean, I don't think there's an engine builder or a team up and down the pit lane that's going to be too enamoured with throwing out everything that they've got and starting mm. all over again. So who's going to pay for that? And not just the parts and components, but all the development, yeah, the exactly. learning and yep. heading into an unknown. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, Todd Hancock, why are the Nissans so strong in Super 2 but not so much in the main game? Because the main game is the main game in Super 2, Super 2. Different levels of capabilities, speeds, teams. Um, Yeah, it's a whole different kettle of fish, that's for sure. But it's good, though, that those cars are in Super 2. Clearly, Matty White's a good operator. He's been around a long time, and he gets good drivers. And he's got some young guys who are really learning the ways really well. Jeez, isn't Bryce Forward going well this year? He's got himself an enduro gig for the first time. Not the first time, but his second year in a row. But he was with Matt Stone last year, wasn't he, with Todd Hazelwood. But now he gets a go with Andre Heimgartner. So... Mm. um, they're actually a lot of people don't give Matt White credit. He's the most winning team in Super Two Series history in terms of races and rounds and and those markers of performance. So um, they're good cars for Super Two. No problem with those. Um, how good would it be that have a Merc in Super Two? One of those Erebus E sixty threes. Betty Clemenko or Barry Ryan, you if you're listening, <laughs> get it out. Get it out. We, we tease them all the time. We put a picture or two on socials but uh i still remember when those cars first rolled out at the test day at sydney motorsport park in i know 13. what you're going to say oh that sound, sound. of course they won't plane crank exactly they, they, they won't got, sound like that they, again they, 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 yeah. they, they, they never ran again yeah. yeah good times great hits <laughs> golden <laughs> memories i believe yeah. the term is will right i kick it home what do we got last question from brett smith what's the rumors around fabian coulthard's seat going by what roger and ryan have said in comments i'd say they want him to stay anyway what do you think what do you think will well, he's the second best driver in the championship in every metric you look at this year. True. Uh, well, let's take the opposite views. Not that necessarily we have them, but mm. 
but he's second of two. Yeah. But do you necessarily want to be in a situation where you have two guys going head-to-head taking points off each other? Well, at the moment, they're taking points off everybody else because they're finishing first and second all the time. <laughs> yes. uh, look, reality is around Fabian Coulthard. He's stepped it up this year. He really has. His numbers are way better. He's Yes, Scotty's still leading the way in all the metrics of performance, but I think he's doing the job. And the reality is it doesn't matter what any of us think. Mm-hmm. It matters what Roger Penske thinks. It matters what Tim Sindrick thinks. It matters what Ryan Story thinks. Um and then I think the thing that no one's really stopped to go into into all of this is not so much um, if Fabian goes, who replaces Fabian? Well, stop and think for a moment. Fabian's been there for a few years now. He's a, he's a reliable, solid performer. Okay, he's not winning all the races, but he gets wins. He gets on the podium. Doesn't rock the boat. No, no, no. He's a good, solid team player. Exactly. So if Scott McLaughlin does go to the States at some stage, because we all feel like that's going to happen one day mm. because he's, he's expressed an interest in it, he's connected to Penske, whether they find an opportunity for him is a whole other matter, mm. but they won't want to destabilise and weaken their team here no. by plucking Scott McLaughlin and putting him into America uh, without having someone who's going to come in and pick up the ball like him or very close to him. So um, why throw the baby out with the bathwater? You might need Fabian Coulthard around if you don't have Scott McLaughlin and whoever you have come along. So reality is, you know what? Like I said before, none of this matters. It'll all wash out in time. And I, I write this online all the time. Time will tell. Reality is we're not in the workshop. We're not in the meetings. We don't see the contracts. Um, it's up to those people as to what should happen, will happen, and how it happens. So um get hit all the time for saying time will tell. But the reality (laughs) is I've been around this game long enough to know that it's absolutely true. Exactly. And as well, always better the devil you know generally. Their dynamic between Scotty and Fabian is quite healthy. Like even notwithstanding what happened at Winton, they still go on with things and, and acted as a team. And we're going to get rumours about this all year. Yeah. We're going to get Chaz Mostert annoyed till he just can't stand listening to people asking him about, is he going to stay at Tickford? Will he go to Penske? Will he drive a GT car overseas? I believe there's now a 10-kilometre exclusion zone. Chaz Mostert's not allowed to even be in the vicinity of DJR Team Penske in case any rumours start. Well, if I was going to get my TV taken to Melbourne... <laughs> There's probably some other teams you could have gone to that wouldn't have raised as much suspicion, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Anyway. Must have been a good TV. Hey, you've got to look after TVs. Yeah. They're very important. They really are. Well, Will, I think we're done. We've ploughed through pages and pages of questions. We couldn't get to them all. Uh, great response for our first mm. Q&A. I, I knew we'd get a lot of questions, but I didn't think we'd get <laughs> that many questions. But um, for ease of process... How is it best for people to ask their questions for the next podcast? Because you are the Q&A king here at V8 Sleuth of how this stuff works. So before we do another one of these, keep your eyes peeled on the V8 Sleuth Facebook page. We'll put up a post just like we did before this one, asking you a few questions. Just pop it in the comments section and listen out to the next edition. And we're asking for questions, not for essays. There are a few (laughs) essays there that we couldn't quite get to. And a few blanket statements that... um, it's got to finish with a question mark, doesn't it? Indeed, indeed. Well, that's all we have for this edition. Subscribe to the V8 Sleuth podcast, whether you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, to make sure you don't miss the next edition. Till then, see you next time. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? 
Just search Red Joe, the number two, and oil and find out.